everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, here in Chicago, awaiting ridiculous snow tomorrow, apparently. So I guess we waited until almost February. I will take it with us today, as always, is Galley. Galley, what's happening? What's happening, guys? And Bickler, I hear you guys are getting boatloads of snow. You're coming your way as well. What's happening over there? Hey, don't joke, man. They we had snow in the forecast, and they canceled school for like four days. So <laughs> I wasn't joking. I just saw this on TV that you guys are getting like six, eight inches or something over there. It's I don't I haven't seen anything about that, but I think that's further like in the state coastal. Like we usually skate through on the coast with just the um, the ice, which is actually worse than the cumulative snow, in my opinion. Um, well, yeah, we've been pretty lucky. It's still far too cold for my likes. Anything anything below 60 degrees is completely unacceptable, in my opinion. And it has been in the 30s and 40s for two weeks now, and I'm absolutely sick and tired of it. Anything below 60 sounds like a dude who spent way too much time in California, like you did. Because anything like over 40 – I'm pretty cool with at this point. Uh, yeah, so. after growing up in northern Michigan, I feel like I hit my snow quota by the time I was like 12. <laughs> and then just like I'm skating like I, I feel like I need to retire from that weather. That does make sense to me, seeing to the fact that I was basically cursing everyone that's in our group out that live in places like the West Coast or Arizona when I was outside. And it was 11 degrees at six o'clock on Saturday and I was snow blowing. And every five feet I walked, I would just get the wind blow straight back in my face. And yeah, it's not good. Not it's good, good times. I'm it's done. always good times. Well, we got a lot to talk about. Stuff that we didn't think we would need to talk about. There's a lot going on. So we'll get to that. But as always, your guys' favorite segments. Well, at least the audience's favorite segments. Uh, we have... The trivia section going on. So I spent a lot of time actually trying to find some potato trivia for our friend Bickler over here. And, uh, well, let's start with the Liverpool trivia first. And then we'll go from there. I found out some interesting stuff. As I was looking at sweet potatoes, uh, if somebody is monitoring my Google, I won't be shocked if I start getting like all kinds of sweet potato ads on my social media feed and stuff like that pretty soon here. There was a lot of searching going on. We'll go with a basic one, though, first, before we get to that kind of a trivia, which is Liverpool-related. It's an easy one. Here we go. The first Liverpool game score. Back in the day in 1892, September 1st, 1892. You might have come across this, actually, here and there. It's basic history, man. Come on. You see, galleys, galleys, you become Bickler, dude. You do not like any of the questions. I'm amazed. I'm waiting for Bickler to kind of like rephrase the question somehow. Like, like first official game or first championship game? or Did they have preseason back then? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have, Bickler? I mean, I'm imagining the Nets were just basically two buckets they put on their side. Uh, and... Score, huh? Like, oh, uh, 2-1. 2-1. Dave Leslie says, happy belated birthday to Dave Leslie, by the way. He had posted in the U.S. fan group that he hit 50. I was trying to recruit him so that we have some contributors that are older than me, but still working on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Galley. That's a whole new 
of age discrimination right there. You will only be considered <laughs> if you happen to be older than the dictator. Um, what'd you guess, Paul? 2 1? Yes. Did you even say which team got two? You just I mean, I was going to guess one? Gerard, but I, I figured. Pass that. I, I was going to guess Gerard, but I figured Timuchin wouldn't allow it. <laughs> Gerard uh, with a brace back in 1892. Yeah, BJ. Actually, I forgot that BJ is older than me. Thank God. We need we need more people. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go two nil to the good guys. So here's another tip. I don't know why the LFC America contributors the name does not show off if they do not click the link on top. But it's also the score of a famous World Cup match. Oh. See, I gotta, I've got to meet these comments because now I see it. Yeah, there you go. Against Father seven one. You know, I was about to, I was about to guess. I was like, was you know, did Neymar get kicked in the back? Like, <laughs> <laughs> probably would have been the only thing to make it better. So seven one was the answer to that. So let's have some other fun while we're at trivia because I know how much you guys like the segment. So. Some further trivia based on our potato conversation. And I'm still waiting for sweet potato recipes to be submitted. I had one actually sent to me via message, but honestly, I didn't like it myself. So I'm not going to go over it over here. Um, so as you guys might know, apparently every state has a state vegetable for the most part. Did you guys know or do you know your state's vegetable? I'm in Illinois. Apparently sweet corn is the state's vegetable. Only in U.S., I think, states have official <laughs> vegetables and fruits and stuff like that. But, Bigler, do you know North Carolina's vegetable? Of course I do. This one's a this is a fucking softball, man. It's long-leaf tobacco. Not even close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a vegetable that you might know and perhaps one day like is the state vegetable of North Carolina. You can't make this shit up, people. Jamie says it's bush light, which is probably possible in North Carolina. Uh, veggies? I would think collard greens maybe, but I mean, that's probably not going to be right. North Carolina, land of Bickler. Would you know and be shocked to know that the state vegetable is sweet that's 100 bullshit. There's no way, uh, dude. Off to Google, you There's, go, my friend. Uh, you off to country, Google, you go. <laughs> you know, North Carolina country I've driven through and never seen like roadside like sweet potatoes on the side of the road. There's no way. You're a disgrace to North Carolina, Massachusetts. What do you have over I'm there? I'm fine with that. State vegetable. I have no idea. Actually, it's funny. He said the long leaf tobacco. I was gonna say in 2022 or 2021. I think anyone would tell you that the uh, national product of Massachusetts is marijuana and/or cannabis and/or weed, because you can get it at more places than you can get a loaf of bread uh, nowadays in Massachusetts. But um, for an actual vegetable, does Massachusetts even have one? Do they? I feel like I feel like Massachusetts. I don't know, man. You live there. I you I actually believe that Massachusetts I don't think Massachusetts has an official vegetable. That is correct. 
Massachusetts is either too cool to have a vegetable or not cool enough to have a vegetable. Of I think the truth is we can't grow shit except for wheat because we <laughs> grow that goddamn shit cool to grow anything that could be exactly. So let's get back to now that we established another North Carolina sweet potato shit. connection over here. Let's get back to Liverpool. So this was us talking about the transfer window just a week ago. January next Monday is going to be the last day. By the time we record, we'll know what the hell happened. Are we even talking about a signing or are we talking about, you know, we're reading all the FSGR people's uh, comments. Galley, what's your gut feeling? Do we have anybody new on that squad? No, we have five new rumors of players that we're monitoring to be linked with in the summer. There's no one coming in in January, and if they do, it would be great. But honestly, if this club was going to do business in January, they would have done it on the first. Bickler, what do you think? I mean, I think they already said they weren't doing business in January, and then we're all going to act surprised, and we're all going to say FSG out and how tight they are and complain about how we've never replaced Genie. Um, yeah, it'll be the – yes. I'm going to call out sick. Yeah, I almost I feel like there will be a couple of players leaving, uh, either on loan or sold. Uh, but I think the market is still not where we want it to be. January, yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Wow. Do I get partial credit for knowing some people are? <laughs> hey, in our defense, we were completely lied to by uh, club ownership. So, yes, yes. Uh, how how they more give us everything? So. I mean, obviously, I kind of like a bigger shocker. I mean, we weren't alone in that. I don't think anybody expected us to do any signings, leave alone. I mean, I would consider a pretty much a major signing over here. Bickler, what do you make of it? Uh, we're going to have the Delaware guys kind of like chime in and give their take on the on Luis Diaz as a player. But what do you make of the deal overall and kind of like how it came about? It's kind of like, obviously, it's smart business, more like taking care of the advantage of the opportunity in some ways and putting ourselves in a good situation but uh what do you made of it so most like reputable sources had this guy as our number one target in the summer so love the fact we got him now i think it only happened because we got basically alerted that tottenham was in the mix and ready to table a bid so i think that's what kind of expedited this thing um, the player's preference was us because we're awesome so i mean i think it's a great i think it's a great move for a number of reasons, um, you know, he's in his prime. He's 25 years old. He's an absolute flyer. He's got pace that kills. He plays – he's almost exclusively a left-sided attacker, and we know that our front three, Salah, Firmino, Mane, will all be 30 by the summer. Um, and Mane certainly, you know, looks like he needs some rest and rotation. Um, so really, really good signing in my opinion – from just all the paper stuff, what's interesting is I've seen wages anywhere between 64000 a week up to 90000 There seems to be some, like, uh, that one's got a little bit of range. People are, are not real sure on that one yet that I've seen. But the thing that I love about that is, it, like, so say he comes out of the gates and kills it like Jota. Usually within two years of a club, you get a bumper extension. You sign another deal. So 
on the wages that we got him for and the price that we got him for, we can essentially extend him long-term when he's like 27 years old and he will still fit to the mid to bottom of our wage bracket, even if he gets a substantial raise in weekly wages. So from a financial standpoint, it's a phenomenal deal as well. You know, we sent $6 million over and basically saved Porto from, you know, some serious um, issues with Champions League and all the financial issues they're having. Um, I think what's interesting about the way that he plays is he does not – he's an inverted winger, but he does not tuck in like Mo and, and Mane do. Now, like he may adapt his game and Klopp may develop him into that, um, but if he continues to stay as a wide attacker who, who prefers to stay wide – I think that really paves the way for maybe possibly like a four-two-three-one uh, in the future, which will open up room for either a traditional number nine striker, whether that's Jota or somebody else. Uh, and it allows the left-sided mid to be more of an attacking style mid that doesn't have to play both ways as much. So I think it creates some, some exciting possibilities moving forward just based on the way he plays. Yeah, it was kind of odd that, you know, Porto is in a situation where the classes are starting, but he hasn't paid his tuition yet kind of thing. Like, can't go into class. We need some money, otherwise we're going to get kicked out of Europe kind of deal. And we step in, and obviously the Gruyich deal helps the cause as well. Uh, what do you think, Gally? And obviously I just played the clip. We're all like kind of like we're not expecting this, but what do you make of the deal overall? So, I, I, <clears throat> one, it's a great move, um, you know, we need to do more Thursday night podcasts and start saying things right at the end of those podcasts. Like we're not signing anyone. And then an hour later we're in discord and Megan and I are finding these tweets and she's yelling at me like, why didn't you just break this on the podcast um, and start talking about it there? Um, Cause anyone who doesn't know, we are like investigative reporters in our discord channel. We had people scouring like, <laughs> places in Colombia and people were looking at things in Portugal and we had people actually finding multiple sources and like, all right, we're up to three. You know, one person stayed up, I think till three in the morning, hoping it would get announced. That's how ridiculous we are. Um, but I was excited for it. I was most excited for the action in which the club took. So I agree with Paul on the stance that I believe he was our number one target. I do believe from, um, I believe since he played, the great double-legged tie against Manchester City last year, and he's shown against them. He had the wonder goal in the game behind closed doors. Um, I think that Klopp saw him firsthand and knew what kind of a player he was, and we heard Klopp rave about him after both matches, uh, which is always an easy way for Klopp to start the media in tapping up his uh, next signing so that he doesn't get you know flicked on the mouth like Colin Virgil at his apartment and asking him if he wants to sign before he could. And I think that the player fits our wage structure. He fits our age profile. And more than anything, he is the first step in turning over this squad. And I think we've been talking about Jurgen having a little bit of a of squad refresh that I really believe would have started after the title season had the pandemic not happened. And the fallout of the pandemic has made it to this point. So I also thoroughly enjoy that they basically allowed for Spurs to negotiate the deal for two and a half weeks, get it to the point where it just came down to him agreeing to wages. And if reports are true, Spurs offered him a hundred thousand a week, but he had his heart set on getting to the getting and playing in the champions league and playing for Liverpool and playing for Klopp. So really he, the player kind of used Spurs to get everything in order. And then Liverpool jumped in right at the last second, negotiated a price. And we're going to end up getting this player right, for 
15 million less counting wages than Aston Villa paid for Ollie Watkins. And that's the thing to me. It's the premium. It's the fact that Chris Wood just went for 25 million pounds, right? And we got this guy for 37 and a half million euros. That's a pretty unbelievably attractive. And I know there's bonuses and structure, but really to me, that is what separates us in the market. We identify players, we identify fits, and then we go out and we execute that when we have to. And I think that it was a huge, huge move. And more importantly than anything, I think there's a good chance this guy is ready to be a first team starting 11 player to start next campaign. And that wouldn't have happened had he waited to summer to come because he wouldn't have had that two, three months of betting in, getting used to the city, getting used to the training regimen, getting used to his teammates. And I just think that um, the signing, the extra three and a half, four months of training, I think it's just going to do this kid a world of good next year when he plays his first full season. Yeah, I want to get your guys' take on that whole Tottenham ordeal and Tottenham going to mom and dad and like complaining that you know somebody's took their toy and playing with it instead and stuff. I mean, it just made no sense that whole ordeal at all. And I, I mean, I believe obviously Tottenham being interested in making those offers kind of forces our hand, and this was probably going to be something that is was going to wait for the summer. I mean, Jamie, I think on one of the comments earlier mentioned it that you know we probably would not go after somebody in January that we're not going to go after summer. This kind of like forced our hand, not to mention, I think going back to what you're saying, Gally, we saw an opportunity to kind of like take advantage of Porto's situation, more importantly, uh, kind of like save the day for them and get a good deal for us. So before we go into this more, let's listen in on the guys from Delaware. Uh, Paul and Sean are the ones uh, joining us this week uh, with their take on the whole Luis Diaz deal. We are Sean and Paul, and our podcast is First Day Copites. And our segment today is about the signing of Luis Diaz from Porto uh, for, I think it's, oh, I don't know, 30 odd million pounds, 40 million euros plus add ons. Um, we're, we're really excited, uh, actually. We just were chatting about some of the things that uh, he brings. So we'll, we'll touch on some of those. But uh, first of all, Sean, what, what was your reaction to finally being right about one of the transfers of, of, the, of the January window, which we don't really usually do? Well, I, wasn't, I really wasn't expecting us to sign anybody of significance in this window. So uh, this one kind of reminds me of, of when we signed Fabinho, where it just seemed you know, almost came out of the blue. We had been linked with him a little bit, but it didn't seem like anything solid. Seemed like, you know, maybe, you know, one of these, maybe we might go for him in the summer. But as it turns out, he was clearly one of our prime targets for the summer. Um, And it looks like, you know, it it seems like initially the story I read was that uh, Porto wanted 60 million. We said that's too high for us. Um, Then Spurs basically negotiated a deal for a lower fee and we kind of swooped in and, and said we'd match that fee. And, um, you know, that's how things kind of turned out. But, um, yeah, he seems like a really exciting, fantastic player. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see him play. Yeah. So we, we've taken a look at some of the numbers. I know other people have done this. But um, in touches in the box and uh, expected goals, uh, he's in the 95th, 96th percentile this season in Portugal. And we can debate you know, the quality of the Portuguese league. But I think we're pretty convinced that Porto did a pretty good job against champions of Italy and Spain this season in the group stages, even if they didn't go through. Um, that's up from like low 80 percentile uh, last year. Um, he His numbers around dribbles, successful dribbles are really good. 
uh, and you know, overall, he looks like he's the right age at 25 to fill in some of the gaps in our team for, for a few years to come. Um, what, what, what else would you call out that you're excited, makes you excited about him? Well, I, I pulled up the um, FB ref as a scouting profile that I think they get from Opta on every player. And um, the, the things that stood out the most to me were his, um, his dribbling stats. Um, he's 90 percentile or above, like, you know, dribbles completed, dribbles attempted, players dribbled past, and, and apparently he loves the nutmeg players, which would be fun and exciting. Um, heard some people compare him to both Mane and Suarez, and, uh, and definitely the uh, nutmegging would be a reminder of Suarez. He used to love do kind of that kind of stuff too. But the thing that really stood out to me was under the defensive stats, he is a 98th percentile um, on tackles in the attacking third, which I thought was interesting because of our style of play. Yep. And then also successful pressures. And again, I'm not exactly sure how they measure this. It's an opt stat, so you can probably look it up. But he's 92nd percentile and successful pressures which is basically, you know, pressing, high pressing. And um, and so um, and then in terms of dribbles past, he doesn't get dribbled past very often either. He's 84th percentile there. So, um, you know, I think that but the dribbling numbers are interesting because, um, you know, if he is playing that left side role with Mane, um, you know, we know that. Uh, Mon, we often rely on Mane for kind of that one-to-one. He's he's very good kind of one-to-one beaten players. Um, so, it, you know, to me, this this says to me that that um, we've chosen him as for that role. You know, obviously he's familiar with that left side role, but there are a lot of similarities. And if you watch the clips, you know, he, he I think he would remind you a bit of Mane, especially when we sign Mane. Um, just that kind of player, very fast, um, powerful. Um, he's, he's, he's wiry and, um, you know, but he, he seems to, to be a lot stronger than, than he might, you know, look on the surface being as skinny as he is. So, so all that looks absolutely awesome. So Tamuchin, uh, hopefully the segment works out in terms of how you're going to fit in the show, but, uh, um, Luis D has lots of reasons to be excited, even if you're not a stat nerd. There's a lot of good stats in there that kind of makes your mouth water. And thanks to the guys from Delaware, uh, Paul and Sean, as always. Uh, we're going to try to feature them as much as possible throughout uh, on like their different takes on different issues and stuff. But uh, so having heard all those numbers and everything there, Paul, realistically, when do you think we will see him actually play? I mean, I don't think... I think it's going to be sooner than than later. I don't think I don't think it's going to be. I know Klopp likes the dead players in slowly, but I mean he's he's built to go. He's twenty five years old. He's in his prime. He's playing starting football. He's familiar with the pace and physicality. Uh, you know, he's an experienced international at this point. Um, I think he's going to get rotated in pretty quickly, similar to how we saw Jota coming in um, in spots. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to – I clearly don't think he's going to start off the bat. I don't think any of the front three are really in jeopardy of that happening. But I think he's going to – I think he's going to get bedded in pretty quickly. And honestly, in, in it's in the club's interest sooner rather than later. What do you think, Gally? Like, if you put a date on it, when do you think we uh, see him out there? Or a game on oh, it? I, if I'm putting a game on it, I think he's playing in, like, the third or maybe the – about two weeks in the Premier League, and if he could make an appearance, you know, in the say an FA Cup, maybe his first start might be 
not obviously Sunday, but the following FA Cup um, match might be the next one. I just feel like, to Paul's point, I do think he's going to see game time like Jota did not far after he comes because he'll be ready to give you 10, 15 minutes and be an impact sub, and he's a better option than Origi, than Taki, than Ox, than Jones, than anything we have up front, other than maybe the Bobby Jota because they just understand that front four. And I do expect him to start sporadically some Premier League games and even Champions League matches between now and the end of the year. Guys, I think he was brought in here to either create a moment to get Sadio Mane back to his form or be the reason that helps push him to the idea that maybe this isn't the club form anymore because his form has gone down for about 18 months, really drastically the last year. Um, and we knew that there had to be a refresh and a turnover. Paul said it multiple times. These guys are all going to be North of 30 by the start of next season. Um, we're all all in on re-signing Mo and investing as him as the focal point of the team moving forward. And we understand what Bobby brings. So, you know, at his age, I think he can do more. If you ask me which one of the three do I believe will be the first to leave Liverpool, I think it would probably be Sadio Mane. And I think this purchase only probably makes that happen faster. And if, you know, I know we'll talk outgoings and those kind of things on future weeks and pods. I'm not saying Mane's done, but I do believe that those two are going to be rotating more the way I believe Bobby and Jota will rotate more through the second half of this season. I'm glad you kind of like went there because I kind of wanted to ask you guys and get your guys' take on that. Obviously, bringing somebody like this and, you know, due to his position, the immediate reaction was, is Mane his replacement? And, you know, going back to Buzz Paul is saying, it could be like a formation change down the road and stuff like that. How do you guys think this impacts the squad as is now, like rest of the season? I mean, when you're looking at a guy like Mane, when, I mean, we know the fan base, right? Uh, you know, you miss two and you're like, get this guy out of there and stuff. Very short memory and like, like knee-jerk reactions. But at the moment, at least, because of maybe a lack of options, at least we were able to give, you know, Mane, Mo, you know, Bobby when he struggled, more time to be able to kind of like play out of those struggles, right? Does that kind of affect that and change that now, Bickler? Because you're going to have somebody like this or knowing Klopp, he's going to be able to man-manage this and not affect. Because, you know, when we talk about, especially with Sadio, we were more like, man, if he gets his, a couple of goals and if he gets his confidence back, you know, we can have the old Sadio back. I mean, does this affect it? Because having to look over your shoulder can kind of backfire. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think the club knows exactly what's going to happen with Sadio Mane. I think, I think that they're kind of on the fence um, as to whether, you know, he signs an extension or whether we move on from him. Um, I, I tend to look at our business and I tend to think that we buy replacements a couple windows ahead of time, right? I mean, if you look at this club, we talk about Genie all the time, but Diago was before that, you know, he was, he, Diago was essentially the replacement for that situation. Um, we look at Jota coming in, um, you know, he hasn't fully replaced Bobby yet, but Bobby's, you know, going to be North of 30. Um, I tend to think that we were looking at, I actually tend to think that we looked initially at Jota as, as somebody who could potentially replace Sadio Mane. 
and then realize that Jota enjoys being central so much and is so good centrally that that's where he started to see minutes, especially when Bobby started to, to struggle with fitness and injuries. So I don't think that Jota has replaced Bobby yet. Um, in, in my opinion, I still like Bobby starting because I think there's more impact with Jota coming off the bench. And I think Bobby's too important to our midfield. The way he plays, he makes our entire midfield better. So for me, when I look at our front three, Salah, Firmino, Nane, and I look at Jota and Diaz, they're both 25 years old. They're both exactly five years younger than the guys ahead of them. And I don't think that's on accident. If you look at the club, it's pocketed. There's Thiago, right? He's 30. There's Keita. He's five years younger, right behind him. Like you look at Fabinho, and then you've got another youngster right behind him. Like it's very purposeful. Even when you look at the contracts, the contracts are staggered in a way that we don't have a ton of contracts for one position expiring at the same time. Everything is a super deliberate across the board. So I think that Diaz and Jota are long-term. That's a, Those are long-term answers to our front three. I don't necessarily think that they're replacing anyone now, but they are the replacements for the players that are leaving down the road. And then people are going to be like, oh, who do we have to replace Mane when he's gone? Well, it's like, well, we bought him already, right? I mean, I think – and that's the way you do business. That's a smart way to do business because there's no worse position than to go into a transfer window with everybody knowing what you need. So, like, I think I think that's I think that's what, the way we have to look at the squad. Now, the real question mark is who's behind Mel, right? I mean, because essentially that's going to be an issue. There's nobody there. You got Cade Gordon. He's, like, what, 16? Like, so I think that's, that's going to be something that we look at in the summer window. And then we've got a couple of midfield spots, but we're buying now as replacements for the future. Chris Strain says, I think Jota's ability in the air gives him the push to head up top. No pun intended there, but I mean, I do agree, especially with his finishing ability and like how good he's in the air kind of like gives us a, like a different dimension going forward. But going back to what you're saying, Bickler, he does not do as much of what Bobby does in terms of, kind of pull center backs all over the place with his movements and get him all confused and stuff like that. You do not see that as much from Jota. I think in press with in terms of press, we get that from both. Uh, but I think we do not get that from um as much from Jota in terms of like kind of like shifting around the the center backs. Uh Dave Leslie says good point, Bickler. There you go, Bickler. Occasionally uh, I have one. Well, wow. we're done for the for <laughs> at least till March. We're good to go, I think now. Yeah. So, Yali, what do you make of it? How does this impact the squad? I guess I'm more after how does it impact the current players right now in terms of their mentality or how they play rest of the season. So, I I think it's only a positive, and I made the comment in our Discord channel after the announcement came. Right, we were all like school kids. We were giddy. We were making pot shots. We were making jokes. We were all excited. You know, we couldn't believe we signed this player and, and, and there was all this energy and verb, right? And, and a week ago we were like Dower and, and Origi was hurt and Taki doesn't score. And we started a kid in the league cup semifinal and, and, you know, we're not going to sign anyone. And it's amazing, right? What, what a signing, what that a little bit of life into a squad. And I think when you sign a player of his talent, at a time when the players were reading and hearing the same things we were, that they weren't doing any business in January. I think it galvanizes the team and it, 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 and it makes a team feel, it makes players that are on the fringe work harder. It makes the club and the supporters get more excited for the next match day. And it brings an energy to training. You know, 
I listen, I used to listen to a lot of sports radio and I know you hate baseball and I've heard this in basketball, but it's the exact same way to You hear it all the time. When you have a contending team that does nothing at an opportunity to strengthen in a championship moment, that reverberates through the players. That sends a message from management to the players that like, we're not strengthening, we're not getting better here. And I do think that's when clubs and teams get stale. And I think the energy and the life and the competition that this kid is going to bring for the next two, three months. So we make this comment. I'm going to say right now, that kid wasn't bought to sit on the bench. So for my money, Sadio Mane either steps his game up and wins back, or honestly, when Paul asks who is the helpful cover on the right, Sadio Mane is one of the options to cover on the right if Diaz is starting on the left. And again, that's that depth. And to Paul's point, if Sadio wants to be here and play in that environment, I don't believe Sadio Mane wants to hear he is not one of the three first names on the team sheet every week. It doesn't seem like it's the player he is or in his mentality. I hope I'm wrong and he goes world beater on us the rest of the year. But I could see him getting there. One of those three is not getting another contract. They're not going to extend three players over 30 years old. And I believe they see a value in Firmino. And I believe the best player in the world plays on the right. So, you know, I know the, the both of you are smart enough to know, you know, two plus one equals three. So, in, in, and I, I'm, I'm going out right now. I'll say it, you know, January 31st, they will not extend all three of those players. See, I understand your point about everybody else in the, you know, like the locker room or whatever. Mind you, you lost me when you said baseball, but that's a different story. So when you, well, you, you know, don't know anything about sports, so that's okay. Baseball, come on. It's not sport. If it was a sport, that'd be a different deal. But anyway, so I understand what you're saying when, you know, you sign, you know, the club kind of shows, you know, intentions and stuff like that. But I think in my mind, you know, that applies to a guy like Van Dyke or Ellison, who's in goal, right? and who does not have any competition to lose their place. I think that's what I'm going to be kind of interested to see how it affects Sadio. And, you know, we've already seen kind of like Bobby in terms of – because every player is different. I mean, some player might get that as a push and perform a lot better, and some players might kind of not handle that looking over the shoulder very well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I really don't know because I don't think these either of those, you know – Sadio has never been in that position before to even, you know, like I say, before we couldn't, who was going to play there, Ox instead or Divac kind of going? You never had that concern even when you're not performing. So I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how he responds, I guess. I guess my point was if a player doesn't want to fight for their spot, if a player sees a new talent getting added to the roster and so much competition that they're okay or they're upset with the club for strengthening it, then they have a selfishness at a different level than I want at the club and they can go play somewhere else. And I think that's the mentality I've heard from Klopp all the time, right? I'll never sell a player or make a guy leave who doesn't want to leave. That's why Origi is going to be here till the day his contract runs out, as Paul always says, right? Because he doesn't want to leave and Klopp's not going to force him out the side. But I think if you are upset because they're buying and strengthening, you know, that's the mentality that holds clubs back. The one thing that made United great through all the championship runs was he went and bought a player after every title they won. 
He didn't care. He brought in players every year because there was going to be new competition. And City has done it extremely well the entire time. I mean, City went out and bought a striker. Granted, his ugly face, Gab Jesus, didn't work out for him. They bought a striker to replace the best striker in the history of the club when he was still in his prime because that's what Pep believed they needed. It didn't work out, and Aguero won his spot back. But, you know, Jesus was bought to replace Aguero. The plan was for, to sell him in a year or two because Pep didn't think he would fit his system. I, I just believe that you have to keep strengthening, and I think when you strengthen, it's on your current players to fight for their spots. And if a guy like Taki can't handle the emotions of bringing in a guy like Diaz, then he was never going to make it at this club. No, I, like I say, we don't know. If maybe Stadio could not freaking care less. I mean, I, we don't know. Uh, it's gonna. That's what I mean. It's gonna be interesting to see how they react. In because I, I think it was like this week or last week. I read. I think it was from Aldridge talking about you know having somebody having like I think the Costas Robertson was the example bringing that backup, improving the starters' play. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one. If anything. Robertson play might have improved because we didn't run him into the ground, for example. But that's kind of like a discussion for a different day we can get to. Uh, so let's move on, which is this is kind of like an evolving story and is changing the latest we have. Uh, actually, this is kind of like a tweet we shared as well that the Fabio Carvalho deal is actually done. It's complete but it's going to become official in summer. So I don't think the paper did not, because initially the talk was that Nico's loan was going to be part of the deal. And then once they agreed to everything, the paperwork did not get in time. I personally do not look, know as much about the player and I really do not trust. I mean, I watched a couple of YouTube videos, but I don't trust that shit. Uh, so Bickler, let's get a scouting report from you on this kids and what you think it brings. Oh man, ESPN Plus is the best subscription you can have right now because you're watching championship football, which is absolutely awesome. I love this kid so much. I I will say this. I, I was surprised when we were heavily linked with him, not because he's a young English talent. We love doing that, but because he's a 10 and we don't we don't play a 10 in our system. We don't have an attacking mid that sits in the center of the park at all in our system. So I'm not real like this kind of further enhances this theory that I have that we are looking at a tactical shift down the line here um, towards a 4-2-3-1 because that would allow him to fit into that system. Um, it would allow for more attack oriented midfielders like Kata to show some worth. Like I just, I'm very excited about him. I am a little bit weary of what this looks like tactically if we don't make a formation shift for him. He reminds me very often, and, and like I love the irony in this because I think I brought up like three or four pods ago how I was so happy that Coutinho was at Villa because we never had the top Phil Coutinho again. He's essentially a young Phil Coutinho. You watch him. He has a low center of gravity. He's super shifty on the ball. He's got excellent vision. He can thread the ball through on a dime. He's got a great outside strike and hit it from range. He's got all the, all the things that Phil had at a very young age. He's very Coutinho-esque. Um, but you got to remember, like Klopp couldn't figure out Coutinho. He didn't have the pace or the strength to play up top, and he was not good enough defensively to play in the midfield. That was part of the reason we kind of got um, 
it was almost a, a blessing that Phil kind of forced his way out. When you look at the money we got for a player that was outstanding, but we weren't truly finding the best in our system. So I do worry about that a little bit about him, but he's young enough. He's 18. Uh, um, we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm super excited about this one. I love, I love this deal. How about you, Gally? Like I say, it's not official. It's semi-official. Even if it is not official, it looks like all the pieces are in place since Nico is going to Fulham for the rest of the season on loan. And that seemed like it was kind of like a part of the deal. The money was agreed to. And the kid's mind is probably the kid is already at Liverpool, probably in his head. Uh, what do you make of the ordeal, even though it is not 100% official? So I am, you know, I too have been uh, very boyish, uh, voiced about this signing. Um, I was almost in some ways more excited about this than Diaz. Not that I think he's a better player than Diaz, but I, I believe that this is the type of coup when you get a young, up-and-coming, high-level talent. And we're not talking about a, a young kid. He is playing against grown men in the championship. He's been playing first-team football for over two years, so since he was 17 with Fulham. Fulham plays a very, if you haven't got an ESPN Plus membership, I strongly recommend picking one up and watching Fulham. One of the greatest things about it is, is they air Fulham every week because Fulham right now is by far head and shoulders the best side in the championship. And they're playing, they're playing EPL level football. And if this squad right now that they have was in the Premier League, I believe they would be out of the relegation zone right now because they could compete with the Watfords. They have a better team than Norwich. I believe they win that championship by 10-plus points. I love two things about this deal. I love that the kid's 19. They say that he grew an inch last year, which means he's literally still getting physically bigger, and he is still gaining size and, and bulking up. So, you know, to Paul's point, I do think he looks like a 10 now. At times, he plays a false nine, depending on their setup. I think he could be a, a floating, interchangeable guy. I do think there's a chance we end up um, – you know, in the four, two, three, one, as Paul said, as time goes on, I also think there's a chance that this 19 year old kid at 22 is a striker or a right wing. He's 19 years old. We're about to grab a diamond. And all everyone told me was Harvey Elliott is either a right wing or a 10 and he won't work in your system. And then he showed up and was literally looked like he was trying to unseat the captain to start the season. So to me, Klopp sees things in players and then focuses on their skills and makes them better at what they do. So he'll find a spot for them. The thing I love the most, if the reports are true, was when they were doing the whole negotiations, he told Liverpool, I want you, I'll sign the five-year deal, but I'll only make this move if you send me back to Fulham. And when they were like, well, that's the plan, his reasoning and his people's reasoning was, was, we have a job to do, and I haven't finished it. I'm helping these people get up. And I was like, my heart was pounding. Like, I was so excited. Because, like, if you're a 19-year-old kid and you already have the mental angst to one handle being in a locker room with Mitrovic and not getting arrested three times a weekend, and two, that you have the grounding that you're already thinking about the bigger picture about the club and your supporters. You know, it was very similar to Harvey finally going back and getting to see a match, you know, uh, for Blackburn Rovers and actually getting to get addressed by the fans. And he said he cried because he had never had that kind of an ovation because the fans at that stadium never got to cheer for him, not once in that awesome loan he had. So, you know, 
I, I just think it was a really, really great move uh, by Liverpool to jump the queue. And to be fair, I think it's an outstanding move for Nico to take. Um, I think Nico is going to get to showcase his skills. And I think if he's smart, he may try to negotiate this as a permanent move for himself next year when they come up. Because I think the people in Fulham who play that attractive brand of football, you know, Marco Silva's finally got a team playing the way he wanted. It's amazing when you don't coach a bunch of bums at Everton. Um, but he's got talented footballers that actually want to play football. And I think Nico's going to fit like a glove with them on the right-hand side. Yeah, Jamie's like, wait, last I heard the deal is dead. But, uh, I mean, I think it is not official because the paperwork was not done in time. But I don't know if, if you want to call it like a gentleman's agreement or whatever. Uh, but just the fact that Nico part of it is done and everything else was agreed to. I mean, unless Fulham just totally turns on this, sounds like this will be a done deal come summer. And this podcast, after these two guys, was brought to you by ESPN+. Plus where you can watch Fulham play nonstop. Uh, honestly, uh, they might get a lot of memberships out of this because I don't think uh, there were so many Liverpool fans, including us over here, let's face it, watching Colombia take on Peru, which, let's face it, normally none of us would probably yes, like. This be I Peru's can... most watched game ever. <laughs> so I can definitely see a lot of memberships going up just to watch this kid because – like I say, even though if it is not official, I feel like it's pretty much a done deal. And that was like the latest uh, tweet that actually we shared from Pedro Almeida uh, about the deal between Liverpool and Fulham by Fabio Carvalho is complete. However, only become official in summer. Basically, the paperwork did not make it in time. So for the paperwork that did make in time, want to get your guys' take on the move that shocked you guys the most. Gally, let's start with you on this one. Shocked me the most. Shocked me the most. Um, I'd say the deal that I was, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I knew Newcastle was trying to sign everyone literally under the planet that was available. Um, but I actually, and we can talk about whatever business we want in the good signings. I think their window was absolutely fabulous, to be honest. But the um, attack-minded midfielder that they signed, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Bruno Gumares or Gumas from Olympic Lyonnais. Um, he is straight fire. And when you see him play, you'll be blown away that he went to Newcastle. I genuinely believe he wanted the Premier League money and he wanted out of Lyon. Lyon. Um, and he made that move. I think that he could literally start in 15 of the Premier League sides. And I think Newcastle is going to realize that they signed quite a gem. And I think that he will be the reason that they end up staying up, to be honest. So that one shocked me not as much that they went after him because they went after every single player on the planet. But the fact that they not only got it over the line, that it was actually he had other options and he chose them. Yeah, Newcastle did make a lot of moves. I've, obviously, we expected it because they have the money now and they need to stay up and they got a, like a relegation battle. I think it's going to be a matter of is it too many new names at the same time and how fast they're going to gel kind mm -hmm. of thing. But uh, Bickler, how about you? Um, there's a few. I think the one that kind of surprised me um, was Ramsey to Rangers. Uh 
I thought, I mean, I know that's not sexy and exciting. Don't nod at me, Galley. Come on. Um, I, my thing is like, my thing is, is that this is a player that's been, this is the thing that's been rumored for, for, uh, for like two years to Juventus. And I thought that they were going to move finally to afford his wages. And I thought that was a player that made a lot of sense for them in terms of veteran leadership and quality and being familiar with the premiership. And to just see him go to the Scottish league is, is a little bit surprising to me. I know that's not a sexy answer, but that was the one that kind of stood out to me today. Galley does not approve. No, no, um, no, no. I was just more like <laughs> it was more because it was they almost had to give him away. I heard that actually Newcastle said no thanks when offered, which is crazy to me. That's wild to me. Uh, I, I think actually heard done. rumors. Of- I think he's done, done, done. Like the coach at Juve said when they asked about him one time, they were like, "What do you see in training?" And he said. He comes to training. <laughs> I think he's absolutely like toast. He's in roll call. <laughs> I know he was going to be loaned to, like, there were rumors of him being loaned to, like, Gatasai or Besiktas and stuff like that in Turkey. Uh, but I don't think anybody wanted to pick up his uh, wages and stuff like that. The one that shocked me the most was Erickson going to Brentford. Because I don't know about you guys. After something like that happening, where you're practically dead um, on the soccer field, I don't think I could, even if I convince myself, which I don't know if I could, because uh, you basically, you know, you're, everything could have been gone in a second. I don't think I could convince then the rest of the family to let me go out there again. I mean, does that seem odd to you guys? I realize, I mean, you might love the sport and the doctors might clear you and all that good stuff, which I'm sure they have. It's not like, you know, he rolled the dice and decided to go. But I thought that was really shocking because I felt like, you know, when they were talking about, oh, he's getting better and stuff, I was like, doesn't matter. I don't think that guy will ever play again. I just feel like you could be home for like six months to a year and Angie'd be signing that paperwork for Brentford. You know what I mean? <laughs> She'd pay them. So long. That is so She'd pay long. half your wages. <laughs> Loan yeah. me out and cover the wages. <laughs> just to get me some experience in a different family. Yeah, that's possible, I guess. I, I just thought, you know, it was like kind of like really odd that, you know, he would take the chance personally and – like I say, be like, hey Angie, what's he been doing? Oh, he he shows up. He's like <laughs> he's like Ramsey. He just comes into the kitchen, like leaves the cabinets open. <laughs> I do actually leave the coffee cabinet open every morning, mind you, but that's a different story. Uh, so gentlemen, uh, any parting thoughts from this transfer window? These deadlines are always crazy, or Anything that shocked you guys? One thing I wanted to actually mention and ask you guys is, are you guys shocked that like a team like United did not do anything? Or like teams that were fighting for these Champions League spots? I know you guys talked a lot about like who could be number four and stuff like that um, in Thursday's podcast, Galley, in terms of like relegation and stuff like that. And by the way, Jamie says, Galley's 15-year-old body out there like an energizer bunny. Are you drinking it like an energy drink, or is that what it is? Or my energy. You don't even know what you're drinking. (laughs) Drinking Massachusetts State drink. Uh, I mean, are you guys shocked that like some of those teams? I know, like Tottenham just 
was talking out loud too much, so whoever they were interested in, somebody has snatched him. Actually, like, stop thinking they, out loud, people. They, uh, but, they, you know, Arsenal kind of picked up some scraps, but I felt like United would have made a move, especially for that midfield. Even worse, they kind of let Van Der Beek go to Everton. United did nothing. Really, United did nothing. They weakened. Um, you know, we, we they lost one of their best front players, and they lost you know, a midfielder they don't play. The Spurs, you know, Spurs did get too vocal. They tried to make moves for Conte. I think that was part of why they were vocal, though. They wanted Conte to see they were trying, and it just didn't work. But, you know, they made a double signing today that's going to turn out well for them. The I never pronounce his name right. Klusevski or Klusevizic or from Juventus. Uh, they got him, and they got Betancourt over the line really late. And Betancourt is going to be a very good, because he's a Conte-type player. He's going to sit in that midfield from Juventus. He's going to, you know, I know Villa was in on him uh, trying to get him, and then they were going to supposedly sell um, Douglas Luiz to Tottenham. And then Villa was upset because they wanted Betancourt, and Spurs were like, took a Liverpool and just jumped the shark and went and got the player that they wanted. So, um, you know, I, I still think that race is wide open. I'd be disappointed as a West Ham supporter today, you know, Two plus years, they've been staying right within it. They're right there, and they do nothing to strengthen again. They don't pick up a defender. You know, they couldn't get a deal for Nat Phillips across the line. They couldn't get a deal for a Dan Burling. Like you needed a Premier League defender, I think, to give them the solidity, and they didn't get them that, and they didn't get Antonio a backup striker. So for me, I think the race of the top four is wide open. It's down to Spurs, Arsenal, and United. Maybe West Ham on the outside. And again, I keep saying Spurs, and the only reason I'm saying it is, is I know I believe they have the manager who can see a team across the line and win some points on his own. And I think the other other managers will actually drop points along the way. But I think it's a, a crapshoot, is what it is. Not surprising, Chelsea too. Yeah. So for the top four, you're saying like Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Tottenham. Yep. How about you, Bickler? And are you shocked that? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not as bullish on Tottenham as Galli is, just because, like, ever since Modric, we've they haven't done anything. Like, they can't develop players in that midfield. Like, they just sent Dembele back to France, and he was Bentecor two years ago. Like, he's and I rate him. I think he's a fantastic player. I think so too. I, I, I think he's a great box to box, classic box to box mid. I would have loved him at Liverpool. Um, so I. I'm I'm kind of wait and see on Tottenham. Uh, you know, Conte is a good manager. He will definitely make them better defensively and harder to break down. Um, I just don't know. I'm not convinced he can can fix that midfield. We'll see. I'm shocked United didn't do anything just because they have never shown a reluctance to continue to add more Deadwood to already pre-existing Deadwood. So I assume that we'd see at least four signings that would turn out to be garbage and we got nothing. So I think that will like have to just wait. I'm guessing that they're going to do a big summer clear out and you're going to see a lot of turnover then. Um, but we'll see what happens. I am shocked that United didn't do anything. And I'm shocked that some of these teams in relegation, like outside of Newcastle did do more for sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that Norwich didn't do more. Like I would be so frustrated to be a Norwich fan and just continually bounce back and forth between the championship and the premier league, because like, it's so financially difficult to do that and keep all your ducks in a row. Like it's just a recipe for disaster. And I think when you're that close, you might as well just invest on the front end and make sure you stay for a few years. 
Yeah, because they've tried, like, you know, not doing anything, like, last time they yeah. came up, and obviously didn't work. And then they tried, like, signing. Yeah, they just can't get the combination right. From the comments, you can tell Asher's dwells in music a lot because everything is i can every notes uh, message as i read it i'm kind of like singing it in my head so who was your top four uh, choice by the way bickler for champions league next year at the beginning of the year or now no now why would i ask about the beginning? yeah let's see like you know the obvious is is city liverpool chelsea um I'll go Arsenal. I'll go Arsenal. I mean, I just think that they're they're a team that's improving. Like week after week, their form continues to get better. They've got some outstanding young players. It sounds like they're finally going to get rid of Aubameyang, who like you know went from getting his captaincy stripped to getting pushed out the door for free, which is absolutely nuts. Like that tells you, like that's how much you you that somebody is such a toxic poison to a team that they're just getting pushed out on a free. Um, my eyebrow is raised because you just signed him at $250,000 a week, like two years ago. Like, so if he was a cancer, you probably knew it back then. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll go Arsenal, but I mean, it's going to be a tight race between Arsenal and Tottenham. I think, I think United are a sinking ship. I think their identity was stripped the moment they brought Ronaldo in and took the ball out of Bruno's hands. I think when Bruno's in there and he's starting and he doesn't have to worry about that, that guy, I think they're, I think they look like a team that has an identity. Um, and they haven't since. So let's take a quick peek on the bottom. Uh, As says, talking about this today, why would you sign for Newcastle for more than a year at the moment? They have the money to buy whoever the hell they want in the summer, knowing you're just a help us stay up player. No pride in that. And I do agree with that. And I'm assuming it's kind of limited in terms of like what they could get and obviously the situation they're in. But then sure. they could also be afraid of the Saudi prince coming after him or sending his boys with the chainsaws. Who knows? But uh, for relegation, who are your picks right now, Galley? Yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really understand that concept of why why like they why there's no pride in that or whatever. Because my my concept is is the pride is is if you're Matt Target, you want to play football and you have the stones to go to Tyneside and play in a relegation battle or you're Dan Byrne and you're from that area and you're going to go help keep Newcastle up or you're Chris Wood and you grew up a Newcastle supporter, even though you grew up in Australia. Like to me, that shows gumption. Kieran Trippier, like you're from the Midlands. You're I think the there. point is in terms of how long you're signing the contract, well, not the so fact from that a financial standpoint, you know, you're going to be replaced. Paid. Yeah. From a financial standpoint, that's actually better for players. Like if they get a okay. short form deal, to guarantee it. You're saying because you're going in and your wages go up, and then you're out doing the next contract, and your wages generally don't go down from what you were last. You're going paid. somewhere else. Yeah, so I don't know. I I felt like those guys were all. I I thought it was good moves, and and like you know, I think it takes gumption to show up in a relegation battle, and I think it's important when you sign a player that they have the right mentality, and they seem like they sign guys who have been in rele- relegation battles before. Burnley players, yeah. Brighton players. Of, you know, Trippier came from Burnley. Yeah, you know, it, the, to me, that mindset was there. Aston Villa I think players, that was like, smart in terms of getting those guys. But in some ways, I mean, yeah, it does take guts. But most of these guys know that, you know, when they do go there, and if the team does get relegated, let's face it, like like kind of like what Bickler was alluding to earlier with Norwich, I mean, they have to dump those players. They cannot take him down to 
you know, championship with them with the salaries and stuff can't just afford it. So those guys always have a, you know, door open for them to leave. Right. But so do they save the season? Are you putting them in the? I, yeah, I, I, I actually have them saved. I think they, they could finish one point out. They could finish five, six points safe. I'm going to stay with the fact that the eye test to me says Norwich and Watford are not Premier League sides. And by the end of the season, that will, they will finish 20th and 19th. And I then believe that it's going to come down to, you know, Burnley, Newcastle. And I will say this. I've said it for a couple weeks now. Brentford is a sinking ship. They are leaking. It doesn't help when your star striker is saying F the club on video. Um, I really believe that they are struggling. And as they continue to struggle, and if you look at their next four or five matches, when all is said and done, if Brentford isn't have a four or five point cushion when we all get back to the even games played down the stretch, I think Brentford could be in trouble because I don't, again, if you ask me the three teams who don't have the, have a quality Premier League side to compete for 38 matches, it's the three teams who came up. So you picking Brentford? I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick one Burnley. I'm, I'm going with Burnley purely on, I'm voting with my heart. But yeah. I believe Brentford's in real, real trouble here. I really do. I can second that motion of voting with the hearts and Sean Douche going back to championship. Uh, Bickler, what do you have? Uh, I mean, there are a number of teams that, you know, like Galley's talking about Brentford, I, which I agree they've been on terrible form, especially defensively. I think Brentford, Leeds, and Everton are all kind of in the same boat where they've just been so bad for so long. And, like, we're sorting out between teams like Brentford, who played 23 games, and Burnley has played 18. So it's like yeah. we have five games in hand. Like, it's like they have five games in hand. I don't know if they're going to be playing during the World Cup or not. Like, um, but it's going to be like – I don't know what's going to happen with those teams. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with those teams. For me, top the bottom three is still the same for me. I, I don't think Burnley has enough firepower to get there, even with Cornette, who's a lovely player, McNeil, who's a good player. Uh, I think Burnley, Watford, Norwich are probably my teams to go down. I think Norwich is the worst of them. I'd put Watford there and then Burnley probably above them, uh, but only ever so slightly. That's my bottom three. I agree with that trio. Like I say, my heart puts Newcastle in there as well. Uh, but I think they will. I think they made enough smart moves to kind of like save their season and kind of like regroup uh, and kind of like attack the Premier League properly next year. But it, I think it's because of who they're competing against more than the team that they have become that makes me think they're going to make. Because like Galley is saying, I mean, when you're going against teams like Burnley and Brentford, all you have to do is do better than them. And I think that's very doable with the guys they signed. And I will say one thing that no one really talks about a little bit is these are the smallest squads, right? They're the smallest units. And they're going to sometimes be asked to play every three days at times of the year that they're not normally doing that. Yeah. The plan is to backfill most of these games after game week, like 30 and 32, because they want to make sure that all the Champions League sides aren't trying to reschedule games and they have TV rights that don't allow them to put games on domestic games midweek against the champions league. And they've already said because of their TV right deals, they're not putting a single game on that could be aired on any of their platforms that would fall against an international gaming right. So 
I think some of these teams are going to be playing two games a week, three, four weeks in a row. And I just don't know how that's going to work for a side like Burnley or a side like Brentford that just isn't deep enough. And a club like Newcastle, even though they got some dregs on it, they now have a little bit more depth in numbers from the people that they bought. And I just think that we're going to see that, you know, really kind of trickle through. I will say, leave it to Burnley to sell a 6'8 striker and then go out and buy a German six foot seven striker, right? Only they would go out and replace. And I love the idea that they got a guy whose name is basically worse. Like there's nothing worse than Sean Dyche and his new striker. Yes, I, it'd be a happy day. We'll be going to throw in a party if Sean Dyche uh, goes down or Sean Douche, as I like to call him. Well, gentlemen. That's it for this week. Uh, thanks to both of you. Thanks to everybody commenting, listening, sharing, liking, all that good stuff. On Thursday's podcast, we will be back. And pretty exciting to finally see the boys on the field again this weekend. So thanks a lot, everyone. And see you guys next week.